Hello, and welcome to the Lasting Impact Wellness Podcast, where together we explore ways to help you optimize your health and achieve sustainable well being. No one deserves to live an unhealthy life because they are overtasked, overstimulated, and overwhelmed. I'm your co host, Dr. Laura Hayes, and we'll be joined by Dr. Parker Hayes as we explore new perspectives and strategies rooted in self awareness, deep connections, and science based practices designed to create lasting impact for you and those around you. Please keep in mind this podcast is for the purpose of education, introspection, and community connection and should not be mistaken for medical advice. Be sure to subscribe and share with others. Let's be well together. Hello to all of you. Welcome to Lasting Impact Wellness, the podcast that helps you optimize your health and well-being through science-based practices, practical knowledge, and honest discussions. I'm your host today, Dr. Parker Hayes. Life and death occupy almost every working day of our lives in emergency medicine. Much of what we do here at Lasting Impact concerns optimizing the years of life we have and extending the healthy time we have on earth. We work with leaders of all types to live well in order to lead well. That said, we are very excited to speak with someone today who has brought focus to many of these same themes, but from a unique perspective. Jody Wellman is a speaker, leadership coach, and facilitator on living lives worth living. She founded 4,000 Mondays to help people make the most of the time they are lucky to be above ground. With 25 years of corporate leadership experience, most recently as Senior Vice President of Operations at a leading health and lifestyle organization, Jody has led private CEO advisory boards and coaches executives and many others too on how to work well and live even better. Jody has a Master's of Applied Positive Psychology from the University of Pennsylvania where she is also an assistant instructor in the master's program and a facilitator in the Penn Resilience program. She is an ICF professional certified coach and a certified professional coactive coach. Jody's TEDx talk is called How Death Can Bring You Back to Life and has over 1.3 million views. Jody, welcome to the podcast. I trust that you are feeling, shall we say, lively today. <laughs> Thank you, Parker. I do feel quite the buzz of aliveness being here with you already. Well, excellent. I'm sure that the vitality shall remain <laughs> pervasive. So I'd like to begin by asking you about your journey to this place and time. How, how did you get into your area of study and research and what inspired you in the first place? Well, thank you for asking that. I've been thinking a lot about it lately uh, in that of course, the paths are, of our lives are not necessarily linear. And so I might be an example for some of your listeners of the story of when you have that topic or area of interest that you've been really interested in for a while, but you just haven't figured out how to make it a bigger part of your life. I somehow did that. And so, yes, you alluded to it in my intro while working corporately for 17 years and then transitioning into the leadership coaching and development world. The whole entire time, I've had this fascination with our mortality the ridiculousness of the fact that we're all working hard. And in all my professions, working in health and fitness and then working in, in coaching, it's all about helping us live better. And I don't want to stop doing that. That's the real focus of what I do. It's what you do. 
But it's the absurdity of, and we are all careening towards an inevitable end that we don't know when we have, we can approximate it. I've always found that to be bizarre and fascinating. And thankfully for me, at least I find it amusing rather than depressing. And so I chose to study it in more depth, you know, so I've always been interested in positive psychology. So when I went for that master's program a few years back, I made the topic of mortality as a motivator, my chosen area of study, much to the kind of raised eyebrows of others around me. Um, studying more traditional positive psychology topics. But man, did I get bit by the bug of, you know, by the Grim Reaper. And I am now hell-bent on using this as this unconventional spark plug to get us to get on with it. So by studying it and now by literally changing my profession to be all about this, talking about it, screaming it from the mountaintops, it has become my life. So I found a way to make the thing that I was always secretly interested in somehow not so secret anymore. Well, your TEDx talk is a nice introduction and summative presentation. What is memento mori, in your words, uh, remembering we must die, and how can it make our lives better? Ooh, well, thank you. You know it. So you're you're on it by calling it remember we, we must die, because that is the translation from Latin. Been around a lot of time, and it's this kind of consistent reminder that Oh yeah, by the way, in your normal course of action of, you know, doing your thing of like making your sandwich or making the bed, don't forget that you're going to die. And actually just as a sidebar, there's a really fun app called We Croak. I don't know if you've heard of it. You can pay $1.99 a month to be reminded at five random times a day on your phone that don't forget you're going to die. And that is memento mori in action. And yes, is it morbid? Yes, of course. Is it sensational and silly? Yes. And the point of it is that we take life for granted. We're wired to do it or else we would go bananas psychologically all day, every day. Um, But we take life for granted and then consequently we can slip into autopilot. And this conscious act that I like to wake people up to of remembering that, oh yeah, right, I've got a limited amount of time left. That's the very thing that can have us heighten our appreciation for life and get on with our goals and our hopes and our dreams and all the things that we just think, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll get to do it later. Because maybe we won't. So Memento Mori is that kind of activating philosophy around remembering that, oh, honey, your time's ticking. How many Mondays do we do we get? Do you know? Oh, yeah, 4,000. 4, that's why I called it 4,000 Mondays. It's like, that's roughly the average. And I get obsessive about counting it. Not because I'm an accountant, but because it's, again, in my mind, motivating. And actually, research does show it. It's not just my bizarre mind. So I know, for example, I have uh, this count, 1,879 Mondays left to go. And can I be brazen and ask you about a little bit of math going on over for you over there? Even an estimate? Brazen are us. Go for it. (laughs) Do you know how many Mondays you have left? Should we do the math? Well, you know, I think we're going to talk about that more as we get on, but I'd like to move the finish line. Oh, Uh, that's your business. Yes. And it's apropos that we are Mm. recording today because it is Monday. If I knew that there was really a finite number, then I am a sizable proportion along that way. I did calculate it before we began Mm. and thought, ooh. That's that's a big chunk of 4,000. And <laughs> while we can talk philosophy and will a little bit later in the episode, there is utility in having a number because it underscores and emphasizes memento mori. 
Well, yes. if, you, if you have a number and you know what your number is and you can calculate how many there are to go, even if that number is somewhat dynamic, it perhaps adds greater urgency to today. Well, thank you for that perfect summary. And the psychological science term for it is temporal scarcity. And it is exactly that around the utility you're referring to is think about anything that you might deem to be temporary or, you know, limited time only, whether it's your pumpkin spice latte or whatever it is that's a, that is not here forever, the value of it just tends to spike. And so that is where this seemingly morbid math is, is important because many of us, we need to break it down to the ridiculous or else things just sort of seem vague. And when it's vague, then it's just as good as nothing. We do need something more concrete. And there is also research that shows that when we make contemplation of our mortality, a more concrete exercise, rather than something that's abstract, it's more useful for us. I was at a conference this weekend and I was presenting. And I usually do this thing when I'm in the group, I'll ask people to volunteer after they've taken a moment with their calculators on their phone to calculate. And I'll ask for some volunteers. And people are very willing, by the way, to admit how many Mondays they have left. People are not that self-conscious about their age, I guess. And I had one woman volunteered that she had 675 left. And then I had a gentleman in the second row say he has four Mondays left. And he's obviously an older, older gentleman. And we were saying, hey, this is going to be the best month of your life, buddy. We're going to make this amazing. And then, of course, the reality is what you talk about, you know, lasting impact is that you want to talk about elongating this fabulous existence in a healthy way. So this is where I think we play nice together is that I'm interested in making more of the time we have, however much of it we have. And you, on the other hand, come in and say, let's help to make it longer and better while we're here. So I've heard you talk about a squander-free life. Can you tell us a little bit about that? It's like a combination of the taking life for granted and the autopilot part. And it's when we succumb to this idea of there's time for me to get on with the living later. And what that leaves us with is a mentality of not doing much with the day or the week or the month or the year. So think about how many times have you, I mean, we do this, we're human. So this isn't meant to be a judgment because I'm right here with, with you, but where we ever feel like time passes us by, like, where did the month of July go, you know, or even we get to this point in the year or we're at fall say, and we're like, where did the year go? And not to say that we haven't had fabulous experiences along the way, but the real question is, have we punctuated our time with distinct experiences of being alive. And I'm not here to say that they need to be magnanimous and impressive, like things that look good on social media. That's not what it's about at all. It's not about, well, what cruise did you take? Or anything that looks flashy. But are we consciously making plans to, and then following through on it, enjoying our experience of being alive? And we can talk more in a minute if you want about the framework I have about vitality and meaning, but it's this idea of squandering our lives is when we aren't paying attention to them. It's when we are just letting the week whiz by. It's when we are then all of a sudden stopping and saying, where did all the time go? I feel like we can bust ourselves, right? When we know that we've just sort of become these, what I call impressively functioning zombies, where we do just get into the Monday is the routine, and then the Tuesday routine, and then the Wednesday. And then that is a life that I do believe that's not us living life at our fullest. And we can't live life all jacked up every day. That's not my recommendation either. But 
I would like the idea about living a savored life that is consciously experiencing life in a way that is right for each one of us. It's relative as opposed to squandering it and letting it just all of a sudden fly by. So I like that term, impressively functioning zombies. What does your research say about whether we're feeling alive or dead? Oh, yeah. Well, I've been gathering data on this for three years now, and I, I'm never not blown away by it. Okay, so let me just give you the shorthand on it. I asked people through a series of different questions where they exist in basically four different quadrants. And I'll just give you a bit of background just so you'll understand conceptually where this comes from. My sort of framework for living is this idea about we want to live wider with vitality. So all the pleasure and happiness, the way we would define, woohoo, living a good life. And then there's the dimension about living deeper with meaning. And that's a little bit more substantial around character and virtues, values. It's about having a sense of purpose, connection to others, et cetera. And so if you can imagine that living wider is like the x-axis and living deeper with meaning is the y-axis, well, look at us. We've got four beautiful quadrants staring at us in the face. And clearly, most of us are clamoring for the category where we are anywhere positive on vitality and positive on meaning. And that's the zone that I call astonishingly alive. That's like, that's the point. And I don't care if you're blasting off the chart or if you're just nestled on the inside, you just want to feel in some way like fun is being had around here. And man, I, I do feel like I've got meaning in my life. And fascinatingly, in my research, it's a very small percent of people that identify here. It's actually one of the smallest. It's like 8% of people classify themselves as, as sitting and living there. The zone that is most popular is what's called meaningfully bored. And this is the zone where people will admit that, yeah, I've got enough meaning in my life. I'm okay there. But, oh God, there's just not enough fun going on. You know, I don't have enough joie de vivre. Like, I don't feel like I've gone out and... I haven't enjoyed the concerts in the park or I haven't really lived. And so that meaningfully bored category in my last calculation was 39% of people feel like they're sitting there. Wow. Right. And then we've got the opposite of that, which is where some people feel what I call vitally empty. So they've got vitality. Like they are out there enjoying the latest cocktail bars and taking the trip and having fun with friends. And so they're having the fun, but they are going home at night feeling like, hollow shells, a little bit empty. Like, but what is this all for? That one, just for some statistics to fill your sheet, that's 15% of people feel that vitally empty. And then we have the dreaded dead zone. And this is where, unfortunately, these people identify as not having a whole lot of fun. So there's not a lot of vitality and there's not a lot of meaning. And the dead zone, 10% of people self-identify there. So just think about that for a second more people identify being in the dead zone than they do in the astonishingly alive category. Now, here is where there is a mid zone, which is like a catch-all for many of them. And that's 28%. And so it's conceivable that 28% of people do feel astonishingly alive on some days or some weeks or some hours of some days, but they're also kind of oscillating between them, which is normal for the human experience of being alive. But that's what my research says is that I look at that and I go, whoa, there's a need for a little bit more of a kick in the butt to get on with this business of living because we are clamoring to feel a little more something, typically a little more fun and vitality, but also some more meaning. That's my goal is to help us get more into the astonishing that category than not. So the ability to oscillate between one category and another, mm-hmm. 
to some degree is reminiscent of concepts like the hedonic treadmill where you hmm. will gravitate yeah. back to what your level of happiness that's at least that's my understanding of it yeah even if your circumstances have changed How, are those yeah. contradictory concepts are they related concepts what mm-hmm. what are your thoughts on that yeah i think you're super spot on to it and that's one of the tricks about being alive well is managing your experience so that the things that gave you joy for some things, they're the simple pleasures and they will continue to like maybe your special morning coffee ritual where you sit back or taking the dog for a walk. Those might be simple pleasures. They will always bring you joy and you don't need to up the ante and get a special new coffee or get a new dog every week. Most of us can handle that simple pleasure, but to the hedonic treadmill you mentioned around the things that we think will bring us happiness when we try to create conditions in our lives that are more vitality inducing, say, you know, or even more meaningful at some point we will adapt to them and we're going to need to just juice it up a little bit more. And that is, I think, where we sometimes fall asleep at the switch of life because we've gotten into, let's just say a really good relationship. Say you're in a really great partnership. Relationship's good. And then over time, if you don't maybe do something a little different to shake it up or, you know, spice it up a little bit, change the date night routines, you know, have something a little bit more um, thoughtful into the equation, it may end up languishing just as a natural course of action. And so that's where sometimes you do need to find a new lease on life, go for a weekend getaway, or put a little bit of extra effort in and say, I, you know what, I am going to get you this thoughtful rose because I was thinking of you, or I drew this rose for you, whatever it might take. This to me is back to the difference about squandering our lives versus not. And admittedly, you know, I have this notion where looking at our lives, most of us think of it like we just have to give a shit. And my whole thing is, I think we have to give two shits. Pardon my French, but it is this idea that in order to live life in this astonishing way that makes us just feel like we are alive, it does take a little bit of effort. Lovely lives don't just happen to us. For some lucky people, it happens to them and we're allowed to hate them forever. But for the rest <laughs> of us, we actually have to put effort in, right? And be like, it's I actually have to plan process. that road trip. Yes. You know, like, like if I want to go to Nashville, I'm going to actually have to plan it. And what might make the road trip to Nashville better? Well, it might actually take, maybe I do need to take 12 minutes and research what a really cool diner on the way to Nashville would be to stop off at and buy a really ridiculous keychain just for fun to remember it always and laugh at the how everyone was wearing cowboy hats but us or I don't know I mean, this is a very bizarre random moment I'm making up in my head but that's giving two shits not just giving one shit and maybe planning a trip but or giving no shits and just letting the year go by and wondering why life wasn't a little bit more memorable or fun or impactful because we didn't We didn't conceive of what we wanted, plan it, and then make it happen. Early in the pandemic, I was on a Zoom call with a group of friends of mine from college. Mm -hmm. And one of them, who is a a close friend of mine, but I wouldn't necessarily describe him as the most touchy-feely guy or the guy that would normally be the most vigilant at maintaining communications and friendships, et cetera. And a classic quote, he said, this is the time that we need to be an aggressive friend. Oh. And now that the pandemic is largely in the rear view, I'm struck by the fact that next weekend, I'm going to be seeing some of these guys, including him. And I'm hoping that their 
are positive vestiges of that sentiment in non-austere times. <laughs> Now's the time to be an aggressive friend because it means you're actively engaging life in your relationships. Very interesting to hear you describe it that way. Oh, I love that. And I could just expand for a second on it. The thing about the social sphere, and you know this full well in your medical world about the epidemic of loneliness, et cetera, the thing that comes back in the science of positive psychology again and again and again and again is the idea about the power of positive social relationships. And when I look at my dimension of living wider with vitality and deeper with meaning, there's place for friendship and relationship along both spectrums. So you can have fun with your friends going out for a friend brunch, and you can have deep meaningful relationships with friends when you can count on one another for the good times and the bad and help one another as needed. And so the relationship piece of this puzzle of life as an attribute of well-being, I mean, it's a, it's one of the biggest chunks of the PERMA framework, for example, which is big in the world of well-being. That one just tends to be kind of a, one of those recipes that we just cannot ignore in the recipe for a life well-lived. So if you are espousing to mm. us that we should seek to widen our lives with vitality mm. and deepen our lives with meaning, what are some realistic ways that people with really busy lives can incorporate these ideas? Your question I love because the idea is that when we have really busy lives, first of all, when do we not feel that way? And I think that's one of the limitations about this feeling of living a life that feels astonishingly alive is... I don't have time for that. Or like, it's going to take too much effort or I can't give two shits. I can barely give a quarter of a shit kind of thing. And so this is where I love that it is more approachable than we think. And one of the best ways is to go back and reflect on things that you did in your past that made you feel alive. Maybe on the widening, like what made you feel vitally alive? What activities were you doing that you might just want to rekindle? Because you don't need to reinvent the wheel and go out and find a whole new hobby that you don't have time for. What if it just means the simpleness of, you know what? I used to love scrapbooking and I want to pick that up again. And I've got all the stuff in the bottom of the drawer, or I really loved it when I did go for a walk around the block every night after work. And that was actually kind of cool. And I could do that again, maybe once a week, twice a week. And so find things that worked for you. Don't try and be creating a new life all of a sudden. Number two is Make a list of things that make you happy. When I work with clients, when I do workshops, this one is so amusing to me because first of all, I get a lot of blank stares. <laughs> it's like, wait a minute, what makes me happy? I've never, I don't even know what makes me happy anymore. And a lot of caregivers really stop because they're like, I know what makes other people happy. I know what makes my kids happy. I know what makes my spouse happy. But me, I don't even know what my favorite color is anymore. I hear a lot. And But wait, like, hold on a second, write in the list of, 25 things that actually do bring you a little bit of joy. And the caveat is that 90% of those things on that list have to be doable things. Like they can't be going on a worldwide tour. They have to be actually manageable generally in your life. And many of these things are going to be accessible things to you. So for one woman I know, she says, I just love taking 10 minutes out of my day in my crazy busy work day and going in my backyard and just tending to my tomatoes in the season when they grow. Or another woman, back to the gardening theme, she's like, I just love looking and, and toying with my orchids. But she moved, and this is a really good example. She moved, and for some reason, I don't know why the orchids had to like go by the wayside, but she she's like, I think I should get orchids again. And it was such an obvious aha of life is just a collection of little moments and experiences 
that are all strung together. And we underestimate the impact that those little moments, those 10 minute tomato checking moments can actually have, or looking at a fun video or calling a friend or having a text conversation with a friend that you haven't connected with in a while, those little boosts actively add up to the perception and therefore your perception's reality that I liked my day-to-day. I had these neat little things happen and I liked my Monday. Then if you make that happen five times, well, I, you know, my week was actually pretty cool. And it doesn't need to be that you had to spend a ton of time or a ton of money or a ton of energy on things that actually make you feel alive. It can be that simple. And man, that to me is like, I want things easy, don't you? Choosing things from your own historical playbook that Mm -hmm. have to do with vitality and meaning is a great exercise, but you're right. If I think, okay, when did I feel the most alive? Well, I was alone and I pulled my Jeep up some impossible four-wheel drive thing. And then I bagged a 14er and that was great. I was 20 something. Well, that's not exactly something I'm going to be able to do between now and dinner. But the music exactly. that was playing at the time or the the way the sky looked or the, the various cues to that event mm-hmm. can bring a lot of it back for me. We have a, an upcoming episode on music and its applicability to well-being. So sometimes tending those tomatoes with some other type of associated cue for you, the the music that was playing or the things that make you feel great about highly accessible activities that are there for you to do between now and dinner may be just as efficacious. Well, you're highlighting one of the lowest hanging fruit in the world of positive psychology is the act of savoring. And it's over three temporal forms. So there's, you can savor the past, the good times, which sounds like you remember, I don't even know what it means to bag a 14er, but I'm going to go along with you and pretend I do right now. And can you tell me- I barely do. Okay. That means climbing to 14,000 foot elevation. Oh my gosh. That does sound pretty vitality inducing. Uh, But like you said- reminiscing, having that conversation with friends or looking back at photos, inducing those the same senses you experience so you can savor the past that will elicit a well-being response, experience of life satisfaction. Savoring the current moment, i.e. mindfulness, what we're generally striving to do on a day-to-day moment is like, how am I feeling right now? What's good right now? And then what I love best is pre-savoring, which is otherwise known as anticipation. And there's just a ton of research out there that I find fascinating that many of us enjoy anticipating a vacation more than actually going on it and having something in your calendar. So my easy antidote to this is have something in your calendar, every given moment in your life to look forward to seven days, 30 days, and 365 days into the future. So one week, one month, one year, what are you looking forward to? And it does not need to be that you're going to bag a 14er or that you're going to Prague or that something that's really mag, it could be, but for me, within one week, I usually for me, it's around food. You know, I'm really looking forward to X meal that we're going to plan. And it's going to be pesto X, Y, Z. We're going to make this and we're going to try cilantro instead of the pest. Like that, that's something to look forward to for dinner on Thursday night. And so that's one way. It's like a life hack, if you will, to feel more alive is having those little things to look forward to in your calendar. So I don't think it's a darkening pivot if... I move to another section of something that you talk about, and that's Mm -hmm. individuals or clients 
with whom you have worked who have had near-death experiences. Mm. I've had quite a few real-time observations of people in that situation. And when they're back and they're lucid, I find myself staring wonderingly into their eyes, thinking, what have you seen? It's different about you now. With a beep, beep, beep of a monitor, happily emblematic of their current ongoing life, it's a distinctly human quality to want to know what is next. Yeah. But back here on earth with life to go still ahead, tell us about some of your client examples and what what should we know about that? Mm. This is one of my favorite topics. And at the risk of sounding inappropriate, but I always am on the verge of that, I think, uh, I feel envious of people who have had brushes with death or near-death experiences. And I recognize no one wants to be on the precipice. And so, you know, don't be an idiot. Like, obviously I'm grateful to be alive, but I will just say that they know things we don't. And, and it's not just because they've seen the light and many, for many of us, it, it is, there's a near-death experience, which is obviously what you're talking about. And you see that in a medical way all the time. And I'd love to talk with you more about that. And then there's a brush with death, which is um, maybe someone who's had like a cancer diagnosis and beat it. So they never actually had the BPP on the monitor ever be in peril, but the concept of their life was very much at risk. If this mm -hmm. chemo doesn't work out, what's going to happen? So the point here is that they have a clarity. They seem to emerge from this experience of, I now see what I have been taking for granted because the very thing that I've been living and taking for granted was at risk. I now have, typically they have clarified priorities about really the bullshit that doesn't matter anymore. And one of the most fascinating things I notice is that there's this theme of the clients I've worked with and the research I've done around people not caring as much what people think about them. You know what? It just doesn't matter. And the ability to say no and put up boundaries is another example back to the prioritization category of, you know what? I'm prioritizing these four things in my life right now and your request for me to join your committee or whatever, like, thank you, but I, I don't have time for it. You know why? Because they now see time differently because they're aware of the way that, dude, I know I have 1,900 and however many Mondays. I'm like, I want to spend them the way I want to spend them. And I don't need to be apologetic that I don't want to be on your stupid board. Although we'd probably say it way more gracefully than that. Um, but <laughs> a, deep, a deep in appreciation for life, of course. Many people do do grandiose things like blow their life up. Like, whoa, I almost lost it. And so now I'm definitely ending this relationship that has been on a dead end track anyways, or I'm going to definitely leave this job and go become the vet I've always wanted to be. Those do happen. But for the most part, it's about, whoa, I now see life differently. The sanctity of life is so sacred. It's special and precious. And wow, was I taking it for granted? I now slow down. And I savor the flavor, literally eating my BLT. I'm in it in a way that the rest of us were just zooming by because we haven't had the gift of that pause. Well, I, I have to say, Jerry, this is really a fascinating conversation. I could talk with you all day. And I admit that when we met and I learned about your research and works, I wondered if there might be contradiction in our themes. You note that we only get a certain number of Mondays or might on average, 
while we feel that in many cases with the right decisions, we can get quite a few more. I think you might get another thousand. But I've come to understand that through our conversations is that even if we move the distance to the finish line further away, Mm. it remains in its finality and it informs the way that we should live today. Uh, More simply put, I guess, an awareness of the future informing our current lives is the commonality and convergence of our messages. I'm very appreciative of your time. I mean, if you have only a few or you have many to go, today was a Monday that you chose to spend with us, and we are certainly thankful for that. With apologies to Jerry Garcia, I'm grateful to talk dead with you and how (laughs) it pertains so much to the long, strange trip of life. Tell our listeners where to find you on the web and any future projects you have on your horizon. Oh, well, thank you for asking. Um, I can be found at 4000mondays.com. And then on Instagram, same thing, at 4000mondays. And it's all spelled out, F-O-U-R-T-H-O-U-S-I-N-D-M-O-N-D-A-Y-S. And then I have a book coming out in the spring called You Only Die Once. And so, yeah, looking forward to that. You Only Die Once, the book coming out. That's fantastic. Well, that's a wrap for today's episode. Please send your input for future episodes and ideas to info at lastingimpactwellness.com. Please visit our website, lastingimpactwellness.com, to learn more about us and our programs for individuals and organizations. Our sincere appreciation to our guest, Jody Wellman. As always, thank you for your time and your energy. I'm Dr. Parker Hayes. Let's be well together.